0: Hi friends! Welcome to the Kansas City MomCast, a place to learn, connect, and grow in a relevant and intentional way. We're your hosts, Sarah and Megan. Join us as we interview experts in the field and hear from local moms just like you. This is a podcast for Kansas City moms by Kansas City Moms. We know that your time is precious, and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some of it with us. Thank you for being a part of the Kansas City Mom Collective community. Hi friends, welcome back. So April is Autism Acceptance Month, and we have a wonderful guest here with us today to talk um, to talk about it. So, but before we get started, because I love statistics, I pulled a few statistics on autism just from the CDC website that I thought that you might find interesting because I definitely did. So, according to the CDC, about one in thirty-six children has been identified with autism spectrum disorder or ASD. Um, Autism is reported to occur in all racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups, and autism spectrum disorder is nearly four times more common among boys than girls. Here to discuss all of this today is Marina Mitchell. She's a speech pathologist and the owner of Bringing Therapy Home. She's a mom to two kids, Everett who's 11 and Cora who's 7, and she was recently awarded the 2022 Kansas Speech Language Pathologist of the Year awards. So that is huge. Marina is passionate about autism, social emotional development, executive functioning skills and parent collaboration. So with that, let's meet Marina. Before we get started with today's episode, we want to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, The Roastery. For 30 years, The Roastery has been Kansas City's coffee company. To commemorate three decades of bringing high-quality coffee to Kansas City, they have launched the 30th anniversary Give Back Blend designed to celebrate the changemakers in our community. Up to $30,000 of proceeds from this coffee will be donated to 30 Kansas City nonprofits. Visit theroastery.com backslash 30 to learn more about their 30th anniversary Fueling Kansas City initiative.
1: Hi, Marina, welcome to Kansas City MomCast. Hi, Megan and Sarah, thank you both for having me.
0: Absolutely, thanks so much for sharing your time with us um, and your busy, busy schedule.
2: Appreciate that, Sarah. You want to start us off? I will. Okay. Um, so most of us are familiar with autism in some form, but can you explain um, all that the spectrum includes, includes, and then what some maybe common misconceptions might be?
1: Yes, great question. So I would say that a lot of times, depending on your age and your level of experience or exposure, that will often kind of determine what you know about autism. But I'm 43 and growing up, of course, our primary level was through movies or books, or we knew one person that had a diagnosis of autism and that kind of led us to think that that was everyone with autism. But luckily, a lot has changed um, in the last couple of decades. We still have a lot of work to do, but um, our understanding of autism is much different and our therapy approach is vastly different from what it once was. So when a family has concerns or um In regards to autism, a lot of times they go straight to the internet, which we all love to Google and signs and characteristics of autism. And a lot of times what you will see is a delays or areas of need in terms of social communication. So is the child having a reciprocal interaction with others? Are they initiating interactions with others? And so you'll look at areas in terms of social communication, social interaction, and then another area is repetitive patterns of behavior. So you may, um, some... Questionnaires may ask, does your child line toys up? Do you see them flapping their hand or putting their hands in front of their face? So a lot of times the internet may be the very first place that a family first learns about autism. And it can be confusing because with the spectrum, of course, there's that phrase out there that's saying if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism <laughs> and it can really look pretty different depending on the person and the level of support that they require. And so we always encourage families to always start that conversation, of course, with their pediatrician, depending on the child's pediatrician. Um, Some pediatricians will say, um, let's wait and see. Others are much more proactive. But I always tell families, trust your instincts. If you know that there's something more that needs to um, kind of be looked into, definitely advocate for your child. It will be the beginning of the advocacy journey, but definitely advocate for your child. You um, can always do a self-referral for autism. It doesn't necessarily have to come from a pediatrician or to even call. There are a wide range of therapy clinics in the Kansas City metro area, and even to call and ask if they can bring their child in just to have their child seen with a person with autism experience to see if they see characteristics of autism. Um, And I think, and I always think it's very helpful too, to have this looked at over a period of time rather than in one setting. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain age that you start to see these characteristics show up? Yes, great question. So a lot of times you will start to see a lot of those characteristics between 12 and 18 months okay. based on conversations I've had with families. A lot of times the families share with me, we knew pretty early on. And a big a big characteristic that you'll often see is a child may demonstrating a certain skill such as they were... Communicating using single words, and then they no longer were using those words for communication. Or um, they just see these slight changes in their child. But often, definitely by 18 months, you will see a lot of the characteristics that are associated with autism. Um, But most families often notice those characteristics earlier. Got it. That's good. Uh,
0: Marina, is there an appropriate... It's really hard when you're trying... To use politically correct language um, or affirming language for different populations so is it correct to say a child with autism a person with autism or an autistic child autistic person i feel like for a long time it was the person first um, language is that still the case or what should we be saying to be as respectful as we can megan i appreciate
1: this question yeah so much. Thank you. Sure. That is something for me that I am also always wondering and asking. And when it comes down to it, we we really need to listen to the autistic community. Sure. And the autistic community is telling us to say, Autistic, rather than person with autism, and the reason that the autistic community is telling us to use autistic versus person first, um, person first language is that. It is intrinsic to who they are, that autism is not separate from who they are. And it really is such a part of the person that you can't necessarily separate the two. And they want, they're telling us they want to be accepted and embraced and that they are the experts in autism because it's what it's who they are, and it often, a lot of times, is incredibly uncomfortable for neurotypical individuals to say the word autistic. It feels um, like uncomfortable, and the reason it is is because for so long in society we have heard to say person with autism or person with down syndrome or but really the autistic community is telling us to say autistics and um i would also say too it's really important to ask the person, what is your preference? Just as, Megan, you phrased that question to me. I am not a person that is autistic, but um, when I am interacting with autistic individuals, I will often ask them, what is your preference and how, how you're referred, what you're called? And they often will um, tell us their preference. Same thing with families. Um, it's a journey. And so everybody's at a different stage. And some families will tell you they prefer for their child to be called a child with autism. But mm-hmm. overall, I would say majority of the autistic adult community is telling us to use the term autistic. That is super helpful. Thank you.
2: So, Marina, I feel like autism gets a lot of press often with some misconceptions about how people develop autism can you talk about some of the like theories of the cause of autism um, and some that maybe are not true but get a lot of attention <laughs>
1: Sarah, another great question. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and Rana, we went a
0: little off script on that one. So we're catching right.
1: Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure you one. are no,
0: no stranger to it.
1: And these are, what I love about these questions is these are questions when I'm in therapy sessions with families, these are the questions families have. So I think there's going to be a lot of comfort when families hear this podcast because they're like, this is what I'm wondering. This is what I want to know. So I would say the leading misconception is that vaccines cause autism. There is absolutely no truth to that. And um, that's been a part of, I mean, it's, I think, fading away, but a big part of the culture for a long time, that there was this idea that vaccines were the cause of autism isn't any research to support that. Um, I would definitely say another misconception in general would be that autistic children are not social, or they do not make eye contact, or that they do not feel emotion. And um, so a lot of times you'll, you might hear someone say, with good intentions, that child cannot have autism because they look at me or they can't be autistic because they love to play or they can't be autistic because um, they really, they share their emotions with me. Instead, we need to look at it as um, like on an individual scale and rather than looking in terms of how they might present but looking at the level of support and knowing that that can vary depending on the person Another common misconception is that it can be cured with treatment and that can look different in terms of treatment can either be through, um, different types of supplements that families can give their children or certain types of therapy that they can place their children in to make the autism um, go away or for it to be cured. Because a lot of times what we're hearing from the autistic community is that um, their autism wasn't cured, it was masked. And so they were taught when you're in public, um, you're going to make eye contact or you're not going to flap your hand or you're not going to talk about something that's um, that you're deeply interested in. And so then what they're what they're doing in these situations is that they're masking and rather than feeling safe and comfortable in who they are and being honored for who they are, they're being taught that who they are is not acceptable and that they mm-hmm. need to change. And so, yeah, I would say that those are probably the leading misconceptions with autism.
0: Oh, my gosh. Those are so good. And I'll say, too, I um, am a teacher by trade, and I substitute teach now often. And it's been really interesting just being in different classrooms. And, you know, you have the information that the teacher leaves on kids. And there's a particular little girl um, that I've had in class multiple times. And you would literally, you would never know that she Mm -hmm. was diagnosed with autism. Um, it's just so it's so interesting, like you said, of just, you know, no pun intended, just with the spectrum mm-hmm. of it, um, yes. of how it can look so different. Across
1: the board, with different kids and adults. So, I and mean, I even adding into that, it is a common misconception in that we tend to think of boys yes. getting an autism diagnosis yes. rather than girls. Yep, and this yeah. this one's a girl. It's a girl. Yes. I think, and that's even maybe
0: more like an unconscious bias of mm-hmm. like, well, that's kind of you know different um, or not as common.
1: Absolutely. And girls are shown to have better masking abilities Mm. in terms of those situations. And um, I think that there's definite bias when it comes to identifying and diagnosing girls as autistic. Yeah. Interesting. Okay.
0: Um, All right. Moving on here to really curious about kind of, give us the Cliff Notes version (laughs) of the the Mm -hmm. history of autism. So, Kind of along those lines of when did it kind of start to be diagnosed? How was it treated? And basically, just how things have changed over time um, with autism.
1: So, um, I really could be giving um, (laughs) some false information when I kind of describe my understanding. Sure, sure. A lot of what I know really dates back. around that I mean it was in the early 1900s you'll find some articles that identify autism and how it was described but really I think there was a big push for more identity in the 1940s Treatment, and even in the 1940s, of course, it was um, really primarily focused on deficit-based and um, how the person presented, but in a really negative connotation. And then towards the 60s and 70s, um, a lot of like in the early 80s, it really was leading more towards treatment. And so a And even all the way through the 90s, I would say there was a, it's just more of a deficit-based approach where the goal was to fix the person. Uh and, And so to get them where they were not autistic, um, to make them have what would be considered neurotypical skills. Yeah. And so a lot of times the recommendation of course was for 40 hours of ABA, um, certain types of therapy programs a lot of times it was um, parents were made to believe it was something that they did that led to this And um, now I would say that there's a huge shift and hopefully it continues um, with podcasts such as this and just better education happening, but more of a neurodiversity approach. And this is where we are acknowledging and embracing neurological differences. So rather than seeing autism as a deficit to look at as as a difference in the brain, and um, I often get asked, how do we describe this to children? We have an autistic child in the classroom. How do we describe this to the other children. And we just really are very open and honest in that we all have differences in how our brain is made up. And we go from a level of where children can understand. Some kids have really clean and organized desk. Others need help organizing their materials. Some kids really like lots of layers on. Some kids never want to wear a coat. And so you talk to children in terms that they understand. And then you describe how autism is a difference in the brain, there is nothing wrong with being autistic and the way that we can learn to support individuals that are autistic is to find out their own individual needs and some individuals with um, that are autistic want you to provide that support some do not and of course the parents or the teachers around them can help provide that insight but with this neurodiversity approach where we are acknowledging and embracing neurological differences we are now seeing um and embracing who they are rather than we know that the awareness is out there we know that there's autism, there's ADHD, there's ADD, there's dyslexia. The awareness is there. Now we need to move into more of an acceptance approach of understanding like how can we support individuals that are neurodivergent? How can we see their unique strengths? What interests they have? How can we support them? How can we teach them to advocate for themselves? How can we Understand and accommodate their sensory needs and their preferences. And then, um, yeah, and just supporting the individual as they are rather than feeling this need to change them or fix them. That's really good.
0: Um, kind of along the line there, correct me if I'm wrong, Asperger's is no longer a diagnosis. Am no, I right? And, yep, you're spot on. Okay. So, so no longer a diagnosis. No nope. um, And what made the switch there? And that was semi recent.
1: Yes. And okay. I think that really has to do with the connotation that sure. it really was set up behind. Okay. And so now, even instead of saying high functioning or low functioning, we no longer use those terms. Instead, we look at the levels of support. So you may say that this um, child has supports in these areas rather than mm-hmm. using high functioning or low functioning because Um, the autistic community often at some level will need support in specific areas and some may be higher supports Mm -hmm. than others, but looking at it from a level of support rather than functioning and rather than um, like Asperger's or anything with those, we just say autistic.
0: Yeah. I feel like it sounds like things are just more... I don't want to say positively worded, but I don't know, just the connotation, like you said, just the attitude shift um, yes. is very evident just in the language. So I think that's, yes. I think that's wonderful. Sarah?
2: Yes. Um, April? <laughs> so the reason we picked April for this podcast is that um, this is the month where we, I guess, celebrate autism, educate others, Um, And we actually had one of our contributors write a blog post recently about the month and the shift from autism awareness to autism acceptance. Yes. Can you talk about that language and why
1: it matters? Absolutely. So autism awareness was initially a public campaign that focused on making awareness On autism available to others. During that time, the big focus was characteristics of autism and you would hear words such as red flags Mm -hmm. to describe characteristics. And so um, that already had that negative connotation. It also, by using the term like red flag, it would also set up families almost like this level of fear or being really scared and nervous about the future. So now we're looking more in terms of and really using the term autism acceptance because now we're really focused on acceptance and embracing the autistic community and recognizing um, of how we can support who they are rather than in any way changing the person. That's really good.
0: You alluded to this a little bit in the beginning, but what can families do when they suspect autism?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Number one thing I always tell families is to trust your instinct. And if you initially go to your pediatrician, your pediatrician, uh, um, most pediatricians are supposed to around 18 months do a screening for autism. And, um, but also know that those are short appointments. And, um, but if a family in any way has any concerns, definitely bring that up to their pediatrician. And then from there, the pediatrician will most likely send in a referral in the Kansas City metro area, it usually ends up being to um, KU or Children's Mercy. Although now there are numerous places out there that will do an autism diagnosis. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Nope. The (laughs) pediatrician will then send on a referral. And then oftentimes the wait times can be pretty lengthy, meaning they can, it's often six To 12 months, if not longer. And so then families at least have communicated to me that they feel like they're kind of in this lull. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at therapy services, you can get your child into therapy for communication or looking at their sensory needs. That often does not need a diagnosis. You can um, get started on therapy regardless if you have an autism diagnosis or not. I always encourage parents, of course, you can change your mind. I don't think that this is emphasized enough that parents are the experts on their child. And a lot of times they will go in front of someone who, for example, this is what I do, it's my career, but they are the expert when it comes to their child. They know their child better than anyone. They know what feels right, what doesn't feel right. If they go somewhere and it doesn't feel like it's a good fit, they have options or if they're with someone and their child just isn't making that connection or the person um, is focused on deficits or just doesn't feel right. I always tell families, you can change your mind. You can go somewhere else. You can try a different approach. Um, So yeah, those are always often the beginning things that I tell families. Sure. Um,
0: Can I interject some of my own advice (laughs) from education? So most of my teaching has been in kindergarten And I will say that I think that what you've talked about just with that early childhood intervention is so important because the IEP process takes, and we've done a podcast on this as well, often takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. So if you have a child coming in that needs extra supports, there's only so much that the school is able to do um, legally. And so the earlier um, you can get those things in place before your child's in um, whatever school you choose for for them. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just better that way they start school when, when they're ready for kindergarten, um, with all those things in place.
1: Absolutely. And you don't have to
0: wait for more time for the school to be able to get all those lined up and ready to go. Yes, absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, okay. So you also alluded to this just a bit, um, about just the best way to talk with our kids. So you kind of talked about at school saying, you know, some kids, you know, Everybody's brains are made differently. Um, you also had mentioned something about neurodiversity affirming. Does that kind of link with talking to our kids? Yes. Yep. It sure does. Connect those two dots for me.
1: <laughs> That's uh, these are great questions. <laughs> okay, guys, so you're keeping me on my feet. I appreciate it. I know. Um, I would say and kids actually are much better with acceptance than my experience has been with adults because children like this is all they know they don't yet have some of those biases and so um you often just see much more acceptance kids really are curious and they mean well. They have good intentions and big hearts. They want to know how to support the kids in their classroom. Or they sometimes wonder, why does that child have an adult with them? Or why does that child leave the classroom? Sometimes they don't notice. But I definitely think um, being honest and starting that dialogue where they can understand how to support their friends in their classroom. So always, um, of course, we always describe just differences in general and how all brains are beautiful, all brains are valid, all ways of thinking and feeling are valid, and that um, their peers also want friends. They want to be invited. They want to be included that may look different depending on their specific needs. And I um, always encourage kids, rather than talking to the adult, talk directly to the child and If that child needs support in the adult responding or helping them with that response, the adult will definitely um, help out with that, but always start talking to the child first. Um, Making sure that you're including the child, even if it's they're running around the playground together or being pushed on the swing or pushing you on the swing, but finding ways where um, inclusion truly is occurring, meaning the child is actively involved within the environment. And um, yes, yeah, so that's a lot of times of the conversation that we will get started with children. And the neurodiversity approach really is honoring who they are as they are and accepting them in that moment and meeting them where they are. So understanding that sometimes they may need a break. Maybe the sensory stimulation in the in the environment is overwhelming, and uh, honoring that they need to take a break, that it's never personal, and that it's what their own individual body and brain needs at that time. And a lot of times kids are very open and understanding to that conversation. That's really good. Sure, Really, really good. So in closing,
2: can you talk to us about what Kansas City offers both families who have autism in their home and then neurotypical families who are looking to
1: support this community? Yes. Great question, Sarah. So I would say that um, I love Kansas City for just how inclusive of a city it is.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And
1: there are a wide range of therapy options out there for families. And so um, I always encourage families when they're initially calling any of the therapy facilities to ask for tours, to ask and to also like pop in unexpected, because then you really get a feel for what does it sound like in here? Are parents included in the session? Are doors left open? Finding something that really matches what the family's looking for. Asking places very specific questions on what does therapy look like in terms of this and of course there are a lot of options out there for families outside of just therapy. Camp Encourage is one of my favorite organizations in the Kansas City area. It it provides autistic youth with outdoor experiences and I believe you have to I believe the children have to be 10, but they have peer models that come in paired with um, autistic youth doing zip lining, horseback riding. And a lot of times that these are camps or different activities throughout the year. Variety KC is another great organization in the Kansas City area. We all know about the new airport and everything that they've done, but they also have set up all sporting events now, often provide like sensory kits where children that are autistic can, you know, wear headphones or have fidgets. Where um, they're also doing a much better job of putting in bathrooms at different facilities that are more um, just family friendly. But yeah, those are my two favorite organizations. That's
0: awesome. So much good information. So much good information. Anything like in closing, anything that you just feel like we just
1: need to know or moms need to know? I would say we often hear from the perspective of the parent that has a child that's autistic. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the friends and family do not know what to do. How do I support my friend? How am I there for my friend? Um, What does this mean? And of course we always want to meet people where they are. So we wait until that friend maybe shares that information with us, that their child is autistic. But before we ask deeper questions or we kind of gauge where the family feels, But more than anything, to continue those playdates. Playdates may look different from what we expect. Playdates may mean where we're sharing a space together, where um, maybe we are meeting at a time where it's quieter or some of their favorite places or asking what their favorite toys or activities are. But just accepting the idea that playdates may look different, but to continue inviting and being a part of your friend's life I think, um, is often something I'm shared just because it's such a different journey for our families that have children that are autistic, but they still, of course, want to be included in all of the same capacities as before. Absolutely. That's so good.
0: Marina, this has been absolutely amazing. I'm like Thank awe. you, Megan and Sarah. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's been so good. I feel like I've learned so much and a very short amount of time. So thank you so much again. Thank you for all you do for Mm -hmm. families in Kansas city. Um, and we will link to Marina Mm -hmm. and bringing therapy home in our show notes and thank you for
1: being here. We appreciate it. Thank you you both so much. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks again. Okay. My friends, it is time for what we're loving in Kansas city right now. Sarah, would you like to go first today?
2: Sure. So okay. we just went to the Coterie, which is one of our favorite places. But right now they have um, Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus.
0: Best book and ever.
2: A, yes. So we are big Mo Williams Willems mm-hmm. fans, um, who does Piggy and Elephant, too. Um, but this is a musical. It's just one hour. Um, and it's about the pigeon wanting to drive the bus. Um, And it is, there's puppets, singing, um, it's just great. And I would say this trends toward the younger set, um, maybe like third grade and and under. Okay. Um, And so, I mean, my first grader loved it. My seven-month-old was enthralled (laughs) (laughs) with the puppets. Um, And then my older boys were kind of like, You know, it was was good, but I probably wouldn't put it at the top of their list just because it's a pretty simple story, but it's super cute. Um, And I always love how they turn, like, books we know well into shows. So um, you can get your tickets online, um, and they're always reasonable. Usually around, I think the average person they said pays around $7. Okay.
0: Um, That's very reasonable.
2: And I love that it's just an hour, and they do have matinee performances on the weekends if seven PM isn't the best for your family. Um, and that runs through May twenty first, so plenty okay. of time.
0: Get out there to catch a
2: performance, okay. and it's just a great way to introduce kids to live theater. Oh um, yeah, it's just, and this is a great one for those younger kids.
0: That's really good. Uh, we are going there for my daughter's field trip to see yeah. the to see the pigeon. So I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. All right. We went to a new place, which is big in our world. We do try to go to new places, but it doesn't always happen. But it did happen this past weekend. Yeah. We went to Craft Putt, which is a little mini golf, indoor mini golf place that I'd heard fun things about. Um, it's off 135th Street in Overland Park. Um, and it's locally owned. It's So you go in. There's, um, It's a 10 what are they called? I don't know anything about sports. 10 holes, little holes that are really cute and creative. My kids loved them. Um, And then there's also, they have a bar that have, um, that has, what did I see on their website? 26, 24, 24 all locally sourced beers and ciders. So that was kind of fun. So my husband and father-in-law enjoyed that um, a lot. And at each of the little putt-putt holes, Mm -hmm. They have a little table where you can put your drinks. So it's kind of fun. So you don't have to hold it. Nice. Brilliant. Probably a mom probably designed that. Um, and then they have a restaurant there as well. So you can make it into a whole thing. There were tons of families there. There were lots of little kids there. Um, okay. So definitely friendly for all ages. If you have like a wide age range or you're going with other families or a group, uh, definitely a good place for that. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that was really fun there. Um I'm trying to think. How um, long did
2: it take you to go through the course? That's a great question.
0: I would say it probably took an hour, like a good amount of time. Okay. Um, and you know, there's people going in front of you, so sometimes you have to wait a minute or so, but not bad. And then while we waited, my kids would go hop on another little putt putt course that nobody was playing on and play that and then come back over. Got um, it. and then the cutest thing I thought was so creative was when you go in. They give you, um, so if you have four people, they give you four tokens and you go over to these big, um, oh gosh, what are they? Like little dispensers, like the things your kids always want to get when you're checking out of somewhere that like Mm -hmm. feeds out the trash for a dollar, 25 cents or whatever. (laughs) They give you the token and you get to go pick which um, color golf ball you want put your little token in turn the thing and then your golf ball comes out oh fun they thought that was really fun so yeah anyways um well, did not that's been there. on our list so yes it was really fun and there's another one uh that our um our friend who writes all of our amazing guides um a lot of our amazing guides julia she visited one that i thought was craft putt but it was a different one so there's another one out there too
2: yeah we have a putt putt um guide we can link oh yeah that.
0: good idea great idea yes we will link that. So. Something fun to do. Kind of nice that it's inside in case it's hot or freezing or rainy. So there you go. Perfect. All right, friends. Yes. Thank you guys for being here as always. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. And now another quick note from our episode sponsor, The Roastery. Cheers to 30 years of fueling Kansas City. From humble beginnings and our founder, Danny O'Neill's home to now. The Roastery has maintained a commitment to sourcing the highest quality coffee and supporting our local community. And now to celebrate our 30th anniversary, we're turning our attention to you, the incredible people fueled daily by The Roastery and their passion for making the world a better place. With that goal in mind, the 30th anniversary Give Back Blend was born. Through the sales of this blend, we are donating up to $30,000 to 30 Kansas City nonprofits. It's our way of saying thank you to the different local organizations that uplift and strengthen our community. Visit therowstreet.com backslash 30 to learn more about our 30th anniversary Fueling Kansas City initiative. Thank you again for spending part of your day with us. We would love for you to share this podcast with other Kansas City moms, as well as rate and review, as this helps others find us. We would also love to hear from you, whether it's to share what you loved about today's episode, an idea for a future topic, or just to tell us how you're doing. We are here for you. You can email us anytime at kcncpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time on another episode of Kansas City MomCast.